All right, gentlemen. So today for the Simcast 13, I have Daedalus, your Ashen Herald. Uh, we have BCG, the Lord of Salt himself. And you have myself, Simorg. And we are going to have a discussion today on some of the lore for Ashes of Creation, some of the stories so far, what we know, and maybe a little bit of speculation. Uh, for the sake of today's conversation, I am going to uh, be going through the uh, wiki, which I'll have linked down in the description below. Um, I will periodically, as I'm referencing some of these videos that I might be seeing, I'll be having them popping up on the screen as well. Um, my guests won't be able to see them, unfortunately. Uh, however, they are on the, the website, so if we're navigating together, we'll probably be looking at the same content. So, <clears throat> there are, in the lore so far for Ashes, we have the origin story, we have the story of the fall, and the story of the deliverance and return. So, the, the origin story is kind of where, where we came from. Uh, Vera being the planet, uh, how how everything came to pass with uh, the uh, exodus out of Vera to, I believe it's Sanctum we talked about, or Sanctus, uh, which we'll get to that in a minute as well. And then the story of Deliverance or Return is the where the game is going to start for us in the lore, which is returning back to Vera. Um, so I'm going to actually go on ahead here and read a couple quotes that are, are on the uh, wiki page. And Stephen said, uh, in one of the quotes, he said, we're keeping uh, lore very close to the chest, and the reason for that is because it's very rich, it's diverse, and it will have application outside of just the MMORPG. Uh, we intend to take it much further, but I want to be—I want it to be something that the players get to reveal themselves. That's not just handed to them, and then the experience is lost. They should feel when they're experiencing this that it relates to them on a personal level. Now that's gonna—that quote ties into. Uh, their explanation that a lot of the narrative for the story itself is going to be driven by the player, which means I'm going to assume, hopefully, that each of us are going to have probably and hopefully a slightly different story that's, I'm hoping, going to pertain to really us as a player as to just us in that that st uh, status of the hero of Vera sort of thing. Um, and then Jeffrey also said in a quote, that it's about mythology and discovering what truths mythologies are talking about and finding out what really happened on this world so long ago. And that's part of the discovery process. And we want people to feel that throughout the game, not just in terms of lore, but in terms of the world itself. So, long ago in the world of Vera, when the world of Vera was besieged by a great calamity that we are going to have a story about here in a little bit, that has to do with Dilia's diary. Now, this is probably the one story that they have really given us in a blog. They have given us one on the Mighty Beard talking about the tavern in the past and how the tavern is going to tie in some... They, they did talk about the storyboard, and I think that part of the storyboard that I'm a little unsure about at this time is... They've almost mentioned that the board in the taverns where people come to get stories. It sounds a lot to me like the um, the class hall garrison sort of thing in World of Warcraft, if you all are familiar with that. Are both of you familiar with that? Yeah, yeah. a little. Yeah. And um, so that's one of the things I've been a little curious about, a little concerned about. It was one of the things that was discussed in a blog. They didn't talk about it in a lot of detail. Um, but... Um, so I'm going to go ahead and, and read through this probably from just through the synopsis to Sanctus. And then I'm going to kind of get some of your all's thoughts as to 
as to what the grand picture may be to you and kind of if you have anything to add. Um, I know we're going to talk a little bit about some of the treasures, so I'm going to go ahead and pull that up on a tab that's under synopsis. Um, I'm going to pull up Sanctus, that tab, because they have these sub tabs for us as we go through that we can click on. We're going to talk about the races and the corruption, which I want to talk about, and the Tolnar, which everybody likes to talk about the Tolnar, the Underrealm. Okay, I think I got the races up. All right, cool. So I'm going to read through the synopsis real quick. So long ago, the world of Vera was besieged by a great calamity. A corruption befell the land, twisting and perverting every facet of nature, spawning hideous beings every description, from troll-like creatures to towering behemoths. Nothing escaped its touch. Granted by divine intervention, eight of the nine races fled Vera through towering gateways, seeking refuge in a world void of magic. That granted by divine inter oh sorry, that world is called Sanctus. Only the only one race remained behind. The Tolnar fled to the Underrealm to escape the corruption. Soon after the Exodus, the gateways dimmed and became dormant. Centuries turned into millennia, burying them beneath myriad calamities. Over eons, history became legend. Then even the great legends were at last forgotten. The world in ashes lay devoid of civilization for centuries until now. What was once buried has risen again. The gateways had opened, reigniting the link to the ancient world. Vast expeditions were sent through the gateways to discover this beautiful and perilous magical realm. Players arrive in Vera to explore, rebuild, and repopulate their place of origin. Ancient treasures and wondrous adventures await those who dare to disturb the dark remnants of evil that inhabit this land. From now on, the choices of these adventurers will influence how the story unfolds. So we're kind of ending on that synopsis with the player-driven narrative story. So, Sanctus. Sanctus is the world that everyone on Vera fled to. The sanctuary, so to speak, from this calamity that had fallen. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the calamity before we talk about Dilia's story. Um, what are some? What are some of your thoughts on what you you believe or think that that calamity is? They discuss this harbingers, which we're going to talk about a little bit. I don't know if either one of you are really familiar with it. How familiar with it are you? And if you are familiar enough with it, do you have an idea as to what maybe that might be or what that might seem to be like? Um, I mean, I think. I wouldn't say I'm familiar, just kind of knowing what I've read. It, it feels to me like there is some sort of war among the Pantheon. Um, I know there was, might have been Stephen that talked about it at some point in one of the streams where he talked about, you know, the, the Phoenix having, you know, being one of the one of the gods or at least one of the symbols of the gods mm -hmm. and and i just kind of feel like that there was some sort of ritual or um war and maybe when the you know and i just get this thought in my head that maybe when this you know phoenix god perished right it took the world you know with with them mm -hmm. or or the fact that maybe the the phoenix was wounded and dying and just like in that story 
the lights in the sky become more and more prolific, maybe that's kind of almost like a countdown to the mm. calamity. That's kind of the way I see it. Interesting. Yeah, that's um, really cool. What do you think, BCG? <clears throat> I'm going based on a piece of concept art um, that they posted a while back um, where you see people escaping through um, the portal. Right. Um, if you take a closer look, it's, it's a city burning and you see people going through the portal. And if you take a closer look, you see something that looks like demons shooting like fire lasers or whatever um, at the town. So I assume that based on what we know, because of the whole Pantheon thing, I assume that because there is this struggle within with the gods between them that they fought over territory because if I remember correctly and I'm looking at the wiki right now and I don't want to quote anything that is not wrong here but there were some of the gods that sided with the corruption or chose the corruption I'm looking for the quote right now so I assume it was actually just a big turfor between the gods and it just reached Vera at some point, and you know, the gods that did not side with corruption wanted to save Vera and its citizens, while the other guys, you know, they're like, no, everything has to be corrupt. And I'm looking at that picture you're talking about too. It's the, uh, it's the picture of it's called the Gate Siege Battle Three. Um, is yeah. what the yeah the JPEG title is. And from a distance for a minute there, I almost felt like I was looking at it and it was almost looked like I was seeing uh, almost like a javelin sort of thing. But I, the closer I look, it almost looks like some sort of when you look at the city and you see that that you see that the gateway and you see all those people, it seemed like they're just they're running yeah. literally for their lives. And in this concept art, this all around them on the right and the left uh, of this almost what looks like passage through the city um it you see these almost ashen kind of foggy kind of ashen silhouettes of these dragon looking creatures exactly that's what i meant yeah I mean, and there's there's another quote on, on the uh, national creation wiki okay yeah yeah some gods influence the corrupt side of beings that exist in the universe so um, oh, I assume well, this is a little bit confusing to me. Mm -hmm. uh, so it says that the gods influence the corruption. So at some point, they had, what I want to know is what started the struggle. What made some of the gods be like, you know what, everything has to be corrupt. What that's what I want to know because I still think um, <clears throat> there might be some external. Um, um, influence when mm -hmm. it comes to the Pantheon. I, I, I it's, it, it reminds me a lot of World of Warcraft. Mm -hmm. Right, it does me too. Yeah, with with the, with the old gods and everything. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I love that storyline. Mm -hmm. I think it's one of the best storylines um, ever written when it comes to these sorts of stories. So, I might think there's going to be um, an open situation where we will discover the real um issue with the corruption but yeah i think it's it's it was a turf war i think it just you know the gods decided you know today we fight over vera 
Mm-hmm. Which is a lot like if you remember too, is <coughs> Sargeras in in World of Warcraft. You know the big the big fight in the or, origin story of the Warcraft universe is the is the, it's the fighting over Azeroth, and, it, yeah. and it's for right. similar reasons. You know, clearly there's some parallels in the idea of light versus the darkness, or mm. this uh, this planetary body, this world, this uh, this realm that um, seems like lays and hangs in the balance uh, in this this arcing story that they have, and so. Talking a little bit about, since we're talking about the corruption a little bit here, um, I find I find it interesting on the wiki too. Now, a lot of the general masses probably are people that are watching podcasts or watching live streams or um, that aren't doing a lot of speculation. They're just kind of taking what the the main the stories might the main stories may be. For example, Delia's diary, uh, the Mighty Beard uh, story that in the blog where you get some kind of bits and pieces as to the tavern and <clears throat> excuse me the tavern and kind of like that role in, in the different uh, what the taverns role, such as the mighty beard, that role of that tavern uh, for players in between the moments of conflict on the different servers as they are basically alternate realities of the same world. Um, and so that's something I really like from a lore perspective as well, is that each server you know, different places that people are going to be able to play. Each server is essentially going to be an alternate reality of this uh, story that begins yes. when we come back to Vera. So that's going to be really cool. Um, so talking about the corruption, and this is what's really interesting now. A lot of people have heard corruption spoken of primarily. You hear a lot about it in the PvP flagging system. We've heard a lot about that. Yeah. It's too hard to watch <laughs> <laughs> you've heard a lot of that cor that corruption you forgot to like do your hair thing we talked oh about. my hair thing yeah there you go <laughs> doing it for me since i don't have any ladies and gentlemen <laughs> um <laughs> but we talked about the the corruption and how that that's going to be involved in the pvp flagging system for um he steven said corruption tarnishes the character's spiritual essence their ability to utilize the vera's the various magic found within them is diminished. So the magic within themselves that they have access to on Vera is what I'm assuming he's talking about is diminished. So your skills, your abilities, I'm thinking is what we're talking about in that quote. Um, yeah. 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 And Everything so, yes, that's like a drop. Mm -hmm. And he said, when you gain corruption, this is no, may be news or no news to some people, but when you gain that corruption, you have the potential of losing your completed items, your weapon, your armor, I just heard the word loss in there. This is scary. Your completed items, your weapon, your armor, stuff that is very difficult to achieve. And then the other aspect of that is that in order to deter basically players taking alternative characters and saying, this is my PK alt, the more players you kill, the more corruption you gain, the higher your combat efficacy in PVP Gross. diminishes. And he says, if you're out there and you killed, you know, 20 players, you will not be able to perform in PvP any longer. You will need to take that character and go work off that corruption. The other aspect of corruption is that if you kill another player who is non-combatant and the level disparity between you and that player is great, you will gain a higher amount of corruption from that single kill to the point where you should not be killing a level one character. So in a very upcoming future episode of the SimCast, I'm gonna be talking about PvP and that system and what we know about that as well. But the reason I'm bringing up corruption now on the, from the PVP perspective is if we look at on this awesome wiki again, 
that I'm referring to, uh, there is actually some concept troll art that we've seen in the past. And it's easy to forget about some of these things that we've been, that have been shared with us because well, they're not exactly like, we don't really have a wiki on the official website. It's not organized and it's really left to the players at this point in time to really keep track of some of these things that we find out. Luckily, Steven likes to leak things to us and that's fantastic. Um, but the corrupt troll concept, which we'll show on the screen. So the reason I'm showing this is because I'm really curious if I'm already under the assumption that a lot of these dark entities, creatures that we're going to find across Vera are probably going to share a similar artistic form or a similar type of uh, um, corrupted appearance, I'm thinking. And so we have this troll that we see, and I'm kind of wondering also, like, the more corrupt a player is, I'm wondering if their appearance changes as well, and maybe they even potentially become... Maybe it doesn't happen. It's a little speculation on my part. I'm curious as to whether or not the individual is going to then become corrupted and stand out like a sore thumb too to others. I think that would be cool for them to do that if there is, you know, some possibility even to show something. I mean, I think uh, I want to say Star Wars: The Old Republic had something like that, mm -hmm. as if you were more geared towards the dark side in terms of your morality, you would physically change you know your right. face would get you know white you would mm -hmm. have some sort of eye Dark. effect right yes. i think that's entirely possible to do and i don't think it's unrealistic mm -hmm. to be able to do that with the character models as modular as um they keep saying that the the engine is yeah i, I mean what do you think bcg um from a i'm not an expert when it comes to programming and coding video games want to have that on the record i'm not an expert um but i can for example the way the troll looks um, yeah i don't think i don't think it will be like that mm -hmm. that we you know we get spikes and we get all that red line all that stuff and um, but i can see like a really bright red aura mm. uh, that that would you know really pop and make you visible to everybody i think that's more likely yeah, like that or right. skin tone, something that you can easily like mess with, like you could go to a character creator and do, right. and it wouldn't necessarily fundamentally change the model. I actually, you know what? I'm going to post the video up here for the viewers. You all can't see right now, but this actually, so Star Wars The Old Republic, I played that game uh, pre-launch through early launch up until... <laughs> at that time, Soa was the end raid boss. Um, and uh, the raid didn't work properly. Just saying. Completed that on Nightmare Mode before it was fixed. I don't know. A little bit of dust on my shoulders, guys. Sorry. Um, <laughs> little This one of my moments. It was one of my finer moments. But I was... Uh, I'm, again, you know, Daedalus and I have talked about this in the past, BCG. Um, we're very Paladin-esque in our, our player style, I think. I don't think that... Then you're my mortal enemy. Yeah. I'm a, yes. I'm, I'm a warlock oriented. Are you? Yes. Dark warlock. magic. Yes. Smite the. Since EverQuest, ever always. Right. It's a warlock or a necromancer. Really? Boom. All right. Down. Cool. All Let's right. Go. Good to know ahead of time. So. Do <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what though? I think that you're right though, because I was thinking about Star Wars: The Old Republic, and yeah, the eyes would get dark, and you would get this kind of like veiny kind of. Uh, uh, you know, almost like you see the uh, the emperor, the chancellors, or whatever in like Star yeah. Wars, right? They mm -hmm. get that like kind of just like uh, pale, 
like almost vampire look. And then in the Elder Scrolls Online, actually, the vampire has stages, right? So if you are a vampire in the Elder Scrolls Online, you have the skill trees and all that stuff. You have actually, you have to maintain your stages of vampirism. And so what, putting that aside though, the at stage one, two, three, and four, the higher your stage of vampirism, the more just just horrendous you look. Like you stage one, you might have kind of like some of these like veins and stuff spreading out from your eyes and you're a little bit pale, kind of looking a little sickly. But when you get to stage four, you're like full blown looking like you might be a little decayed. Like the veins have just spread. You eyes are just completely gone red. Um, but I agree. I don't think that the player model is going to change. But I could. I also think of the Daedric skin, which is something that in the uh, cosmetic system that they have in the Elder Scrolls Online, um, there's this Daedric skin, and it actually makes your skin look um, it kind of has like a glowing, like BC, you were saying, like a glowing aura about them yeah. or something. Well, it's like it's skin on the player, and your eyes actually kind of glow. Um, this there's like um, kind of like a pattern to your body and it looks a little more sunken and a little like less healthy. Um, but on that player skin, which I'm going to show also to give an idea about it, there's like kind of these areas where there's a glowing effect as well as like in the eyes. And so I could see maybe looking at that and seeing that red veiny sort of thing with black, I could see maybe like getting an ashen appearance and maybe like having glowing eyes or an aura, maybe from your eyes kind of uh, maybe even from like some sort of veiny, uh, nature about like your arms hands face or something like that um, maybe that it's easy to make out kind of in the distance as well something like that um, but i find it interesting and i wonder how much of lore wise the corruption system is going to cross over from talking about the great calamity to player corruption right like is there some element to the player corruption system that ties into you sort of becoming kind of I don't know, paired into that calamity kind of corruption system in the world itself. Yeah, uh, I, I think that definitely feels like it would fit with what the developers are trying mm -hmm. to do is everything kind of ties into to the lore piece. Mm -hmm. And just kind of jumping off of your point about the look and kind of feel of the corrupted player. I mean, they've already developed racial skins as, you know, Kickstarter mm -hmm. rewards, right? This seems to me like they could totally bring in a corrupted racial skin it's something that they've got a you know a system in place already for at least they've planned for one right mm -hmm. by giving players access to these racial skins mm -hmm. so i don't think it's that much of a stretch to do right. that right. and i do find it interesting that you know there was corruption in the old world and now there's corruption with the pvp and mm -hmm. it has a, such a negative impact on the player i mean i think there's definitely some good you know meaty lore behind that and i'm i'm also it makes me wonder we had this you know if we had this great calamity we had this war people were driven out of the world and then it kind of had a reset you know how that actually happened if it right. was a turf war like you were saying bcg which makes sense i feel like it's going to be some sort of power struggle that right. was going on how does then that get kind of pulled back into the earth that we have to rediscover it? What caused it to almost reset the world to right. a blank slate that we're rediscovering now? That That's the most fascinating thing to me, right? Is that besides the fact that 
we're going to end up creating our own stories depending on what server we're on. You know, how does the world reset itself? What can we do? What kind of events can we trigger as players to have something like that happen? Right. I just thought of something, and I don't know if this um, goes along with what we were just talking about. But, um, okay, so we left Vera, mm -hmm. and we came back. We went to Sanctum, and we came back. So I assume the gods that fought against the gods that were for corruption won. So Vera is safe, and there's a little bit of corruption left because um, it was a battlefield. Right. So what if one of the – because we know we can pick a religion. We know that. Right. Uh, what if we can pick a god that was all for the corruption and the more people pick him the more his influence grows and uh -huh. what if that is a way for people to um decrease the level of corruption or make the 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 effect of being corrupted less than before for example now that when half the, when half the server is all for hey hail Cthulhu, the god of corruption, you know. <laughs> you know he, he's our overlord, oh hail him. <laughs> half, half the server, you know, is is playing for, for, for his side. So now when you kill a level one player, you don't get uh stat debuff uh, as bad as before. Oh, buddy, that's interesting. That's a good that's an interesting idea. So, yeah, and kind of along those lines, mm -hmm. too, is like we have religious nodes, right? Right. So obviously whoever levels that node and runs that node can choose the deity Holy crap. that that religious node is all about. So I kind of see that, too, is we can either give or take away power from cer certain religions, certain gods, and they might exert an influence over the world. And maybe one of those, quote-unquote, you know, all for corruption gods then maybe spawns an event or Ooh. some sort of raid boss that we have to, you know, take down as players if we want to take down that node. I mean, you know there's, there's so many possibilities with with the religious influence here, especially with when they started talking about this pantheon and the war between the gods, and some were kind of on the side of the darkness or corruption, and some were on the side of, you know, the light. So I'm going to take... I'm gonna take actually two all right so here's a here's a thought i had and then i'm gonna actually read some items off of discussing the pantheon on the wiki okay. because some of the things you brought up about the religions and uh there's they even mentioned i'm gonna get to that in a second so both of you talking actually gave me this idea like so meaningful meaningful conflict is something that steven's discussed and he brought up a lot right so meaningful conflict to me makes complete sense if you have a for example religious node this is completely speculation right just my own thoughts um but you have this like religious node and you have uh this lord of salt for example who's this dark necromancer <laughs> that has this his uh what are your followers called are they called salties or what do you call them i have not picked a name yet i should i pick a name Saltines. I, saltines. I was thinking that too. <laughs> <Saltines. laughs> so, Beware so you, saltines. yeah. So you have this, for example, dark necromancer, the Lord of Salt, yeah. and this Lord of Salt and his followers, his saltines, if you will, um, all are all, um, they all take over this religious node, and this dark Lord necromancer here and his saltines, his his uh, posse all come and take it over and then 
in that, and we go back to this idea of talking about that gateway and them fleeing and that image I showed earlier where you have these people escaping uh, to the gateway and you have to your left and right all of these dark entities they were shooting these like looked like laser beams or fire uh, almost like turrets that are shooting you down from these dragon-like creatures and they've talked about in the past how potentially on a node you could spawn or cause a spawn of something for example a dragon and so my thoughts are well what if you have someone in a religious node for example who has dark intentions follows and and is in a religion of the dark god one of the gods potentially that led to the fall of and corruption of vera and this dark one of the dark creatures that had destroyed so many things during this this fight uh during this exodus as people were fleeing one of these is left slumbering in the mountains you know off to the side of this uh node here and when someone with dark intentions and a dark nature claims that religious node and then makes those choices it somehow evokes the power of this creature and it you know w awakens and then now all of us others who believe in the light for example um have to vanquish this evil before it then potentially begins to corrupt more vera and spread darkness and dismay over the land so I mean, that i like the idea from from a game like from game content because now you automatically have conflict yeah. between between those guys that yeah. say oh i'm a great pvper i can only kill level 10s <laughs> and and the people that you know that they they don't rather deal with that sort of um you know ganking and picking so mm -hmm. for example if 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 people hear hey there's this divine note they're power leveling that so they can do more picking let's siege that sucker right that's right. meaningful conflict right there yeah right there right then, there then also but then also there's the problem where steven says he does not want the game to be a murder box right so there's there's this conflict between idea and and what he right. said so i mm -hmm. like the idea i like the idea because then you already know how the whole server thinks right um but I, I don't think it's gonna it's gonna be a thing because of what steven said about right. the whole murder box yeah I agree. I, I could see that too. It's who knows what, but so I'm going to real quick go on. So they said there's 10 deities, right? Yeah. Form the pantheon of gods. And then it says there was a celestial struggle among the gods that fractured them into good and evil, which you talked about BCG. And it says the beginning of the creation of the universe that exists within ashes of creation was a result of a group of God beings. There were 10 of them and there were a celestial struggle in the universe that resulted in a fraction of those gods and there exist within this story two components of good and evil. So, in the early creation of the universe, the pantheon of gods was split. Some gods influenced the corrupt side of beings that exist in the universe. It's possible through questing and player decision to join or worship those gods. Um, we have very rich lore on the pantheon of the gods, but it's something that I want to make sure players discover in game, not told about, which I like that. Something that you have to, you have to come to learn about through exploration and through your own, you know, not just not just following the path given to you, but by immersing yourself. So I like that idea. So ten deities. I'm thinking maybe you know I could see maybe it's split. I don't know what how it would be split. Um, if it would be five and five or something like that. But there are six religions, so there's not you know ten for each of one for each of them. But there's six religions in ashes. 
Jeffrey says, we're talking about a pantheon here, not necessarily separate religions. They're all kind of offshoots of who is the better God, like you're saying, BCG, uh, who is the God who identifies best with you. And so there's, they said a couple, for example, God of creation, goddess of love. Each God has a specific realm that they relate yeah. to in the world and its creation. So I'm kind of wondering on that statement too, if for, and this is just again, speculation and thoughts about it. When I think about uh, the Elder Scrolls Online, for example, that's a game I've played everything. Uh, but I, I speak to this one because I think of the Daedric Princes and each Daedric Prince has their own realm. For example, uh, Mulag Ball, you have uh, Cold Harbor, you, know, you have Oblivion. Um, you've got yeah. these different domains for these different deities, so to speak. Um, so I could, I'm kind of wondering if, if those realms in any way, shape or form are going to play as potential raids or content that we, we go and explore if we're potentially having to work towards the cleansing of Vera, if that ends up being a thing, I'm kind of wondering how that all plays out. If there's still corruption too, um, kind of in the bigger picture, do you have any thoughts about what you think that those, those deities are going to play a role in when it comes to content? I mean, my thought is kind of what you already maybe touched on is there's going to be religious progression. There's going to be quest lines that open up and the deeper you get into those quest lines that you might end up, you know, discovering an artifact of great power, but you might end up unleashing something onto the world too. I think Jeff talked about oh, this right. in one of the live streams and I want to say, may or june where he talked about you know <laughs> yeah. players like an individual player in or a group of players could potentially unlock a pandora's box right and mm -hmm. unleash something onto the world that they need to deal with um i kind of see that as an, a way that religion again impacts the world and and all those levers that we get to pull as players i mean it's not just kind of level a node don't level a node um, I, I think that would just fall flat. Um, I think there's other ways we can influence the world, whether it's, you know, by making a trade or social organization more powerful, making a religious organization more powerful by, you know, increasing our rep and maybe in a sense kind of leveling that too. So I think there's a lot of options they can go with to curate content or not to say curate, but unlock content behind different you know combination of actions that players can take right that's pretty yeah i like that actually got some stuff to read about too that actually has to do with that do you have any thoughts bcg thinking right now um, okay. <laughs> i mean i mean jeff and this is also something that um i need i need to see proof i need to play it to believe it um <clears throat> jeff said that we will explore the world and we will find new things even month, months after release. Mm -hmm. um, I have not played an open world MMORPG where that was the case. Mostly of the, the, the interesting, you know, point of views, interesting areas, and they all been discovered within a week because, you know, people, they rush out to, to, to find this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so, what I would like to see, or what I think would be a cool idea, if there is areas that are <clears throat> locked. Um, you guys seen The Hobbit, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Oh yeah. Now, yeah. you know, you know how they say you can only enter 
um, the mountain on a certain day. Right. Yeah. So if if they would have some areas where you really have to do a bunch of questing and even just you know have to find quotes written somewhere in a wall and then combine them and then it gives you the 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 location of an entry of an entrance that opens once a month right. and then in there, there there is something um you know um related to the gods i think that would be would be really cool because um making that sort of content is difficult because of the impact it could have on you know the player base but we don't know how in-depth the religion system is gonna be right I love that idea though that's a really good idea yeah. I mean I would love honestly I, I would love there to be a way where religion can really take over and the end you're gonna have something like the crusade mm. for example if if one if, you, if you're playing for for one of the bad one of the evil gods and you choose this religion if you reach a certain path with the religion, you get a quest which says, um, destroy every non-believer on the server. <laughs> I mean, that would be, you know, with religion, and let's be honest here, if you look at humanity in general, with religion comes conflict, and I think they could play mm -hmm. off that. They could really, you know, make a whole lore based on each server, based on what players choose. Right. Yeah. And I wouldn't even mind there to be one or two gods where it's like, it's all about balance. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all about, no, don't be too good. Don't be too bad. Be right in the middle and you're going to have to fight both. I like that. Balancing the light and the dark, so to speak. Yes, exactly. I like that. I am a Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think another cool thing to do there too is, again, I mean, talking about maybe items, items of power people are always wanting more and more loot right you could also um have some sort of quest lines as you say that you open up and you say okay you're going to get this great reward but your task in order to get this great reward is doing things that require you to marshal a bunch of resources just like you said mm -hmm. destroy all the non-believers right you know rid the world of corruption you know, whatever, you know, whatever the case may be. And it's almost serval, server or at least raid level events that you have to undertake. And maybe it's more than one to really obtain that powerful item. And you need to be able to convince people to do it with you, right? To get yeah. them to do it. And maybe they get something out of it or maybe they betray you and they take the item of power themselves. I mean, betrayal was something that Stephen talked about. Would he want to see in this too i mean i just i just think that's something that they definitely want to shoot for i agree with you it's really ambitious and complicated to do something like that but if they can pull something like that off with right. those layers i mean Boy. you've got stories on servers for decades not to mention you want to talk about you want to really re reinvigorate renew the genre boy that's a hell of a way to do it too but it's it's also I mean, I don't want it. I, from from a coding point of view, from mm -hmm. a coding point of view, it is a lot of work. It is oh, a lot of work yeah. to, implement, oh, yes. to implement something like that. So I would not mind not having that on release, but having solid build on release, mm -hmm. but then add add that later. I mean, right. as soon as people as soon as people get settled, right? Yeah, because you can't I, have I think that that's there. Totally the right strategy there, because mm -hmm. you need to have somewhere to go. Right. Yes. 
you can't you can't expect yeah you can't expect to jump into something that evolved in the right, right. from the get-go yeah i think maintaining yeah. footholds developing the metropolises yeah. having an ongoing kind of almost like i'm not gonna say like a consistent uh, yeah a consistent system of conflict with that varies based on mm -hmm. the server slash individual slash communities etc um one thing i wanted to touch on here so we so daedalus has mentioned a couple times too about these items these legendary items and looking at the wiki under treasures here right it says discovery of legendary items will unlock further chapters of lore now that sounds like what bcg said too unlocking a potential quest so there are absolutely legendary items and they're not items that are attained easily nor are they granted out in a volume good there might be even let there might even be items that are single items that will exist on the server at any given time a legendary weapon is easily distinguished by its visual appearance he said Stephen said it will be very a very ornate and detailed weapon more so than any other weapon or piece of equipment in the game it will also include some awesome looking effects that won't uh, won't too gaudy you you know they won't be too bright and shiny so that it doesn't look good but they will be subtle and people will notice it and know wow that guy has this weapon so that goes back to me of back in the olden days in MMOs where it was like, oh my God, this dude on our server got this legendary. And it was the community as a whole that was excited about the prospect of what that meant for not just their community, but for the server also. Um, and so here's here in this discussion about legendary items, um, I'm sort of getting that it reminds me of those olden times of taking it back to those kind of better days in my thoughts about where MMOs used to really thrive on community. Yeah. And um, so Steven said <clears throat> in regard to these, the legendary item uh, will not be RNG based. Great. It will entail obtaining construction components. And so now I'm hearing to myself crafting construction components from various progression pathways. And so I'm starting to wonder if, you know, thinking of the crafter, the crafter, for example, that person who's, that's the person that can make this one real specific item. If it comes into play of like having multiple of those people that contribute to this, this system that to actually obtain this legendary item, like maybe I've got to seek out, um, BCG who makes this, uh, this, this void gem of sorts or something, uh, a Daedalus who he, uh, he has this enchant of light and then, you know, Sim who has this, this sword of, uh, this sword with, uh, you know, a certain, um, uh, augments to it or something like that. And, and, you know, along the way, I've got to go to these specific people or small handful of collected people who are able to construct these specific components. And he says the amount of effort needed <clears throat> and interdependencies across the different types of players between raiders and PVPers and crafters and even role players and the taverns and businesses, the processors and gatherers, all of those systems will likely have a component that lends toward creating or crafting that legendary item. We want to stay away from the highly RNG system and instead take our multiple progression paths that we are offering the players and put the construction components for achieving these legendary items within them so do encourages uh, communities to work together because it's going to be difficult for just one person by themselves to gather everything. 
Not to say that there couldn't be an economic sense by buying those components that's possible, but achieving them from a time investment standpoint, we want it to be considered less RNG focused. So that to me is awesome. Like I've got to search out, seek out, the community as a whole has to come together. And I can see potentially once this legendary is obtained by the individual or whoever, how that unlocks some quests that then impacts potentially a server too. I mean, here's the thing with legendaries, and I don't know, I feel like the last couple of weeks everybody wants to talk about legendaries. Oh, really? <laughs> um, yeah, I like what they're doing with legendaries, you know, having a part of the lore. Mm -hmm. um, I like that idea. For example, I can think of one scenario where you somehow get a sword like Excalibur, but instead of pulling it out <laughs> of the stone, instead of pulling it out of the stone, you have to pull it into a stone to open up a new area. I think that would be a cool idea. Ooh. But the, the thing with legendaries is always um, that people with a lot of time seem to seem seem to get them more often than people who have a real life job or whatever. So, you know, I get that, you know, it is a lot of work and the more time you have, you know, then you, if you invest the time, you should get it. But I think in, in Ashes of Creation, in, in this case, it should not just be based behind um, a grind and, and time barrier. There should also be some sort of skill base and, you know, a little bit of RNG, a little bit of RNG. You know, it would be kind of cool. <laughs> I'm sorry, going ahead. I don't want to cut you off, man. I mean, for, for example, um, if 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 you look at World of Warcraft, Thunder Fury and 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 um, Sulfurus, um, was just luck and grind. Right. All right. There was nothing like you know. There was nothing really, um, um, major behind it. Um, and then as you keep on going World of Warcraft, you know, it got easier and easier. Everybody and everybody in the end had a legendary because everybody right. was completely gone. So what I would like to see is is a system where you obtain an item that can be a legendary but you know you have to do the grind you have to do the grind you have to do the crafting and but then at some point you do have to have something a little bit rng related to make it not all just you know a time-based thing for example right. you grind you grind again materials to a certain point and of course those who have um more time can get there faster but then you have an rng related part where you need to get a certain item from a certain boss like in world of warcraft in the beginning where you have to get the pieces for sulfurus mm -hmm. and and then after that there's a little bit more grind and then you have to fight a boss by yourself that is a really really hard boss that way yeah. people with, with even with skill people with <clears throat> skill but not that much time can catch up and even they could get the legendary instead of just people who I hate the term because I used to be one when I went to when I when I still studied. Um, you know the no life people, the guys that play every day for ten to twelve yeah. hours. Mm -hmm. So that's why legendary is always tricky. But mm -hmm. they could they can do a lot of cool things. They, in my eyes, they can do a lot of cool things based on just the nature of the game. I, I agree. See, my thoughts about here. I agree with you on the RNG component too. Here's what sucks about that. I have a warrior in WoW that went yeah. into freaking yeah. He went down in there into a, uh, oh my God. Molten core. Thank you. Molten core. He went down in there. Dude, his first freaking week, he got the components, half of one half of Wind Waker. Horde. Yeah, yeah Horde me too, man. Yeah. 
Um, for the horde. And he, I went down in there. We didn't hear that. We, we, we <laughs> just kidding, man. We, I went down into there with my warrior though. And like, I think it was in the first month of playing that all that I literally had wind waker and I had sulfurous. I was like, what the, yeah. Uh, can I tell you right now, my paladin still does not have sulfurous after how many years yeah. has it been? They increased the drop rates after the content got irrelevant. Yeah. Everybody was like, everything well, you wanted. Right. Like right. Guess what? My main still doesn't have sulfurous. And Wind Waker. I have it on four. I have it on four characters. See, this one. And this is what I'm talking about, man. I have gotten. I've gotten those components to drop on all these. The RNG. It's the RNG. Yeah. It's literally a random roll of the dice, man. You could get it first day. You could get it ten years it later. Be, it should be twenty five percent RNG, twenty five percent skill, twenty five percent um um grinding that you can do by yourself or with others, and then twenty five percent of something lore related. Yeah, make it an even four way split. Yeah, like you need to know the lore. You need to do something lore related, and that would be a really. I honestly, I hate legendary. See, I never, I never, I never got them as as the first player in the guild. I never, I only got them oh, afterward. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I also even doing in-game content, even in a progressive guild where we were, you know, I was in one of the top US rating guilds or whatever. Even in yeah. that time, mm -mm, nope, didn't even get it until it was already irrelevant. I mean, I'm like, what the actual? It, I think, uh, yeah. No, I think what turned me off on legendaries is I've seen way too many situations where the guild leader or some officer was like, "Yeah, we're gonna go and help him now get his legendary." Yeah, and yeah. I, I, rem I remember, I remember a situation in in fire in the Firelands raid where we had um, Shadow Priest with us who was like, "Oh, I theory craft all the time. I don't know, I know, I know everything. I know everything. You know, right. if I have, if I have, if I have this legendary, I will be the best player on the server." So we got him the, the legendary. He was one of the first guys on the server got the legendary. My little brother, who also plays Warlock, kicked his ass in, D in DPS every <laughs> every single fight. So that's why legendaries are really tricky to implement. And for ashes, they should be really, really lore heavy. They should be really that you need to I like that. read books. You need to know what and where to go and not just grind, grind, grind a little bit of RNG mm -hmm. and that's it. See, yeah, I totally agree with you. You know, I think the idea of like getting a legendary and then having to kill a boss with it, something lore related, like getting yep. a legendary and then like you said, maybe putting it in this place in the world that unlocks something uh a gateway to another realm or you know and then once it's placed there it's it's there like it's not going anywhere potentially even changing the world forever i mean and i also see how how difficult that could be i mean but i think that would be really cool because i think about the and i never got to do it current content because back in vanilla wow i was a complete scrub i was like the, i was still playing games like i was a you know one player person like zelda or something I was still playing games like from that perspective at that time. And so, I, you know, I was overwhelmed for all of my time in vanilla while just trying to figure out what the hell I was doing with myself and completely doing things wrong. Um, and, but I remember all of this hype about the AQ for no, opening of the gates of AQ, yeah. AQ and how that was a once only event sort of thing. Um, I, I would like to see stuff like that again. 
Um, again, it gives it's another thing that keeps you engaged in like wanting to check back and see what's changing in the world because, you know, from that perspective of a story or being immersed in the game and the story in general, uh, something like that happening, some profound impact on the server that happens only once. Uh, then I see the purpose of the legendary and people pursuing it to get it because it overall is going to benefit everyone in some ways. Awesome. And then it's about community. Everyone potentially might come together and strive towards, let's figure out how to get this done sort of a thing. Um, as opposed to one, com one specific community guild or player base that's, you know, trying to monopolize that opportunity. Yeah. Um, yeah, somehow give some sort of node buff even, something. right? I mean, I think that would be a way where you, people feel like they're getting something out of it. Because right. at the end of the day, I mean, I've been in the same situation you've been in, BCG, where, you know, you have certain guilds that say, okay, well, we need to gear X, Y, and Z players. I mean, I've been in a situation where I'm like, you know, I've given up gear to give to another player that ended up saying, oh, I don't really like my character anymore. I don't want to play this, right? And then I'm not, I don't get the the set bonus that I need. So, I mean, it, it is definitely something where I agree it's got to be a big time investment. It's got to involve something, you know, where that individual player has to work on it. Yeah. So that way it's not just like, okay, we're helping them do this and they don't need to invest anything in doing it right i mean one of the things that i really liked about legion um was the mage tower it was super difficult to get this artifact appearance if you wanted to but i could kind of equate that type of challenge to something that you might need to do for a legendary here right um where you're spending maybe you know, depending on your skill, right? It might scale up so that that way you don't out-level it like you do in World of Warcraft, but having some sort of challenge that says, okay, I have to prove myself as a good player in order to obtain this item. So to your point, if you've got, you know, your brother who's worked really hard, who rocks DPS, he can do this portion of the quest and maybe get something out of it, because it's something that he's dependent upon his skill as opposed to being handed something, right? Right. I think that achievement alone would be something that would motivate a lot of players. Oh, absolutely. What I'm hoping for, I'm hoping for the return of DKP system in a raid mm, point. Right. I'm hoping that Ash is because I always said this is the best way to do raiding mm -hmm. if you have a point system that way yeah if a legendary item drops everybody can it's fair it's completely yeah, fair. It's fair yeah i agree participation is important you know yeah. i mean i think the one thing that has happened in world of warcraft is is that sense of entitlement i think yeah. we've talked about this before right sim mm, yes is that people think okay well i showed up right right you know i should get something even if i yeah. only showed up once and the other people on the raid team have invested months trying to get a boss down, right? Not to say that that, that happens in yeah. WoW now, but might be weeks, right? Yeah. So um, that kind of thing, right? Where you've got a core team of people participate, have been there for the progression, they get the reward of doing it. Yeah, and you know, 
that's that's I've, I've had the same problem you know like i've played in the high-end rating guilds i've played in just kind of the casual community kind of friends and family type guilds and i've 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 kind of always preferred, you know, I've, I've been a guild leader for a long time and I've always preferred just the, you know, kind of a just community driven sort of vibe about it where they you know, the people have the opportunity to raid or whatever, uh, they don't have to. And I think that there's, you know, that kind of elitist mentality in a lot of times that like, I know BCG and you, and you had also mentioned that, uh, you know, it's like, well, we're going to gear this guy, we're going to do this, this thing for them or whatever so i feel like dkp is really important when it a system like that is really important because so many people you know it's you got these people who think that they're the know-it-alls and they think just because they've got more skin in the game that for some reason their 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 goals and their views are a little more important than everyone else and you know it just simply isn't the case you can't be all about just your bestie getting stuff and gearing the one person uh i feel like it's it's more important that it's it revolves around that greater picture. Um, I mean, like I also rated pretty, pretty, I didn't get any world first, but definitely a lot of server first. Right on. Um, and I get the idea of, you know, having, you know, uh, the loot, you know, like a loot council where, you know, right. the officers and the raid leader, they decide who gets it. But that's only, that only makes sense if you're on a prog progress rate. Right. If you're just if you're just a casual raider, you know you raid once or twice a week. Then if you don't use any point system, then I think it's like it's not the majority. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a little bit crazy. Yeah, so I mean that makes sense because you're looking yeah. at you know you're you know like Blood Legion or something for example back yeah. in the day. Yeah. Um, I know that that's you know they're not they're that's a different situation. But Blood Legion, for example, I can get it because you're all there. They're I mean they're basically professional. They're professional raiders. They for yeah. the most part and you know, uh, so I get, you know, like everyone in that can, in that, in that system is going to understand why one person might get it versus another, because it benefits the greater, the greater whole. Exactly. It's about them all achieving what their goals are as their, as their, their team and being first and everything. And first is their goal um, versus, you know, that's the minority though. It's not the majority the majority is. Yeah. So, um, so getting back, I want to get back onto some of the story stuff here. I recognize that we're pushing an hour already. I do want to talk about Dilia's diary story, and I do want to talk right. about Sanctus a bit uh, before we kind okay. of round up. We might kind of get back on, I might end up getting back onto this another time here in the future soon, but um, so Sanctus is the place that, that we've gone. We've talked, We've. I think that generally speaking, I, we could talk about the races and the Tolnar and the Underrealm and some of that stuff. We've already talked a little bit about the Calamity and the Pantheon. Uh, the Sanctus though, so, so Sanctus is the world where people of Era found their sanctuaries, is where they fled to. Um, a long, long time ago, everybody lived on a planet called Vera. Something cataclysmic happened that forced people from that world to another world called Sanctus. Vera is a place of high, really high magic. Sanctus yeah. is a place with no magic whatsoever. People escaped through these portals into the world of Sanctus. They had to rediscover technology because so much of their current technology was based on magic. So they had to figure out how to interact with that world or with the world Thousands and thousands of years ago, a long dark age passes. This history that I just told you falls into myth and legend. After this time passes, these portals reopen and the players are going to take the part of people who are coming through those portals once again back to the world of Vera to rediscover that magic, rediscover their history, and try to figure out what happened to this world to force them out of it. So it almost sounds to me like 
the, from the Lord perspective is we're journeying back to figure out our origin story. We want to know where we came from. We want to know, you know, what happened because maybe some of that is shrouded in mystery over a couple thousand years. You know, it's, it's kind of like here in the here and now looking at our past, you know, we, we get the idea of the story, but those mm -hmm. details and specifics sometimes can be lost to the ages. Um, and sometimes the only way to really find out is to, to go back to those places and to really start digging and searching. And that's why we have archeologists and things like that. You know, you know what I, this comes, sorry, if, if I'm go going off track, if I'm going off track, you need to say <laughs> so. I tend to go off track because. Oh, good man. Good um, conversation. Okay, so, so Sanctus is void of magic. Right. The portals are magic. Right. How did we open up the portals on Sanctus? Right. <laughs> I think I think this is also only a theory. I think um, the gods, the Pantheon, had something to do with it. Interesting. Like, something happened, and they were like, "Okay, we know there's this whole like there's a bunch of races on this in this place called Sanctus, all right, and there mm -hmm. must be something must have happened. Something that maybe one of the gods was like, "Okay, let's open up um, the portals again and let them come back for some." major reason if it's just you know as cannon fodder to be soldiers <laughs> or to do something <laughs> because if if saying this is void of magic there is no magic to open up the portals this, right. is, this is my understanding you know where i kind of wondered about that too though i looked at it i, th I think that's a completely viable possibility uh in my speculation one of the things i have contemplated is is you you know how like you uh you've always seen these movies and stories and there's like that that like kind of period of time in a lot of stories that we've seen uh where you've got like there was magic magic is now gone or lost and so yep. you've got these people who then like uh, even in that statement right saying this is no magic whatsoever they they went here uh because so much of their current technology was based on magic and so now it's like they're having to rediscover and create technology again and so my thought is like, so maybe another split off, another just complete possibility is what if technologically they were at a point where they found a way to turn that gate on? I think it's Stargate a little bit is what I think of too uh, when I think about it. But it's almost like, so technologically maybe they got advanced to a point where they could somehow turn the gate on to not using magic. I don't know. Or across even between that. Uh, and then, yeah, then if they if we go back, and is it just because of cannon fodder? Is it because of some greater divine uh, situation? Uh, I've I've like tossed this idea around a lot too, and I, I've I've wondered if, um, and we don't know yet, but uh, profession wise, they haven't really talked about that system of crafting yet. But there's been the engineer a lot in you know games, engineer type mm -hmm. of in World of Warcraft, for example. And I kind of wonder wonder if maybe we're gonna see any elements of that. It's a high fantasy world, but I'm kind of wondering if there's going to be any components of an engineering sort of aspect to why how we came back, and then potentially that being a trade of some sort as well. Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, what's the opposite of magic? Darkness. Right. Yeah. Maybe avoid magic. I don't know. Like magic is mostly considered, you know, <laughs> elements creation. So um, I mean, it could be technology, though, too, right? Because mm -hmm. you're talking about this play between technology and magic, and Sanctus being a world where we had to rediscover technology because right. everything was driven by magic in the old world of Vera. I know, but but how how? I mean, Stephen said 
there is no gunpowder in the game. And True. If you look at the history of technology, gunpowder is like they discovered gunpowder and cannons like really, really early. So I don't think that technology had anything to do with it. Um, I think, honestly, I'm blaming elves again. Those <laughs> cocky, those cocky... No, Dagger listen, ears. Listen, listen. Go no, for it. I have a theory. I, I, I have a theory. They're, they're to blame for everything. I have a theory. So elves, elves are really magic creatures. They're like, oh, yeah, we are, we are elves. We love our magic. And it's been thousands of years. We still do not have magic. So what if they tried to, you know, um, you know, um, get their hands on something like void magic or, or dark magic, whatever, you know, by summoning something. And in the end, they ended up, you know, um, telling the bad gods, the evil gods, the guys that are for corruption, where Sanctus is, and they opened the gate. And now they got these... But they got these millions and thousands of people coming through the gate, and they don't have magic. They can only fight. Uh, um, they they're not used to magic. They can only fight with you know with swords and shields. Mm -hmm. So now they're they're easy cannon fodder. They they we can corrupt them. Those are free soldiers. You know what reinforces your statement? It's on the under the lawyer. It talks about divine gateways. It says divine gateways are portals inside the starting areas where players are first arrive in Vera. Where players start, they enter this portal from another world called Sanctus. Sanctus is a place of no magic, low technology. So it's players are first expeditioners that come through this portal in the world of Vera. So that reinforces the statement of we've got low technology, so we've got swords and shields, yeah. basic basic tools and weapons. And yeah, so then I'm also kind of wondering if they come from no technology and not knowing magic, right? And then they come through the portals and we've seen talking like Daedalus was here before we talked about some of the skills and possibilities of, 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 um, you know, theory crafting and stuff like that with skills and stuff. We've got magic abilities on classes. So I'm kind of also curious. So from crossing through in that portal, like what's, yeah. what's that look like and how, you know, some of like a mage all of a sudden has magic powers. Like, how's that, how's that I mean... evolved too, story-wise? I mean, I can, Dallas, and if you want to say something, just scream, because when I start talking, I don't stop. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a bad habit. It's a really bad habit. So what I can imagine from a game design perspective, okay, so you do your character, um, you're, you're in Sanctus at this point. You're in Sanctus. You're like, you, you, you are this character, whatever, and, you know, they prepare you to go through the portal. You go through the whole tutorial with, oh, yeah, you're an orc with a shield and a sword, and... <laughs> Now you're fighting, oh. and then and then you know you do a couple quests, you do a couple quests, and you go through the portal, and then you have a cutscene where mana or magic enters you. Then you have one magic skill, and then you start leveling up. And the whole story is, at least from from you know, um, if you're a mage, for example, the whole story is, oh yeah, you're getting stronger, you're getting you're getting high levels, more and more magic comes into your body. You're learning all these new sparkly fire builds. I mean, that, that I could see being a thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could see this total. I mean, we've talked about this in the podcast already in kind of one uh -huh. form or another, but I see this like Star Wars. I, and, and maybe that's like my inner nerd coming out, oh, though it, it probably never left the building, right? <laughs> is that magic we're connected to magic in vera we're not connected to magic in sanctus right 
we come back to Vera exactly like you said, BCG, right? We're connected back to that. And as we discover, as we grow, we become more and more in tune with magic. And the only thing that can remove us from that connection is like we said, corruption. So I kind of see that as we start out like with basic skills, just like every MMO, right? It's, it's a common thing not knocking it i think it's you know that that seems like a really good way to do it but it's also a way to connect us with the lore and as we improve in power as we go out and potentially seek out augments in the world in addition to augmentations from our choices that to me kind of fits with that is that if i really want to get this specific augment for a skill i might need to do a quest i might need to again further my connection with the magic in vera so I think that there's there's a beautiful symmetry there that I think would totally work, and I I agree. I think that that's again a way to invest the player in the world, make their choices feel relevant, have weight, matter, etc. So I am going to actually go and look at something here. Talk about I want to talk about this is a great conversation. We've talked about corruption. We've talked about the pantheon. Now we've talked about magic and the player magic and how, how we kind of are going to have some of these abilities and how that's all going to play into, uh, let me pull this up here, how it's going to play into our character development probably as well. So um, we'll go to the lore page. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right. So when I go onto the lore page here and we're going to pull up Dilia's diary because this is a fantastic story and I think once we kind of discuss the story and, and what that means a little bit, we'll probably conclude this simcast. I, I feel like I want to pick back up on it at some point soon though, because I, I'm, my mind's going to other places and, oh man, we yes. can, this yes, is so, so much good to talk about. Yeah. I get off track. I'm so sorry. No, it's just, that's, I love it though. It's like theory crafting, man. You get into conversations about possibilities and then all these cool ideas come from it too. Again, I want to reinforce that this is all speculation on our part, unless I'm reading it from the page. It's it's just our thoughts and ideas about possibilities here. So <clears throat> I, I'm trying to decide whether, I don't know if I want to read through this whole story. I'm going to probably link it down below. Uh, essentially in Dilia's diary, all right, she is telling a story. Uh, like she starts out saying, I was a child when they first appeared in the night sky. At first, there were three distinct lights, not quite the brightest in the sky, but they were bright enough. My mother told me, and so she's talking, my mother told me that uh, they were a sign from the gods, that the world was about to change. She had a sense for these types of things. A long line of women in my mother's family were oracles, written on one of the many tablets in the great halls of King Grimley, uh, is a story of my great-grandmother, the Royal Court's Regent Oracle, and how she foretold the rise of the undying during the Great War. <clears throat> so in this short passage of Dilia's Diary, we, in that first paragraph, start out talking, and in that we get so much to discuss. We talk about the undying, the Great War, from the past history prior to this exodus that happened. And in this story, what Dilia discusses is she is talking about how the, these lights appeared in the sky. Um, and of course, they're talking about their origin being in Dunheim. Am I saying that right? Is it Dunheim? Yeah. Right. Yep. 
Um, so that is the, the dwarf race, right? Uh, and we know that each of the races, it's almost like there's like a split in the races, I've noticed. Like you've got, you'll have these dwarves, but there's like almost two cultures or, you know, they almost have like their own realm domain kind of thing. You've got like elves and, you know, all that different races. And it's almost like you got one that went one way and one that went another when, it, when you look at the races for this game. Um, but I'm not going to get on that too much. So in this story, they're discussing uh, basically going about their day and, and kind of some of the history of her family. And she's talking about uh, a day in their life. And let me go down here, right here. I'm going to scroll on down. She, she's explaining kind of some of the region, some of the domain, kind of some of their King Brunier, uh, some of the her family's history, some of... Uh, just kind of the culture of the dwarf, dwarves that that we hear about in the story. And the part I'm going to read and, and, and finish here is where the story gets interesting. And we were just an hour or so from the Grand Gates. They're on a they're walking with her family. They're on en route somewhere. We were just an hour or so from the Grand Gates of the mountain when it happened. A loud boom reverberated across the ground and along the walls. It sounded as if the mountain itself had been split apart. Following several seconds later by a shaking that nearly caused the rams carrying our supplies to fall to the ground. I could see my father's mouth moving as he screamed at me, but I couldn't hear anything other than the loud ringing that filled my head. It was at this moment I felt something wet falling down my neck. I lifted my hand to feel what, I, what it was. I guess the shock of the whole thing prevented me from understanding what had just happened. My fingers were covered in blood. The shaking stopped almost as soon as it began. Behind the side of my father calling to me, I saw my brother struggling to lift the cart which had collapsed. It was then that I noticed a hand from beneath the collapsed axle of the wooden cart. I immediately ran to the cart and began to push with all my might. The frame of the wooden vehicle collapsed into itself, revealing my mother's mangled body. She lay lifeless amidst the debris as my brothers and I stood in shock our father frantically searched through my mother's bags while we watched for the slightest hint of movement where is it my father asked as he tore through books and clothing and the various bags that were thrown to the road when the cart collapsed where's what i said to him despite the complete attention devoted to his searching my mind began to fill with memories of my mother i saw both my brothers were already overcome with emotion and just as despair began to take its grasp i heard my father's shout got it so in this story what happened is they're on their way away from the mountains and a calamity is occurring and clearly her mother is under a cart, probably dying. I encourage people to read this story. It's, it's very rich in story and lore and it gives you a lot of ideas about what had happened. Now in this story, they discuss the Harbingers and after Dilia's mother was crushed underneath this, uh, what her father was searching for was a, a relic or an item to help heal. And so as we scroll down this story at the very end, there's one quote that comes from uh, her mother and she says, I love you more than life itself. My only daughter clearly, yeah, no, clearly mom is at least somewhat okay. At this point she can talk. You are the light of my life, and I would do anything to keep you safe. Her eyes begin to flutter, but the darkness has come. The story outlines, yeah, the story outlines 
uh, the beginning of the end in Vera and, and for, for this family that was leaving the mountain, um, from their home. And in this story, it talks of the harbingers. And this is, like I said, a very rich story. And I, I wonder about this, this story. And I wonder about the harbingers and what, what that actually is, what that means, because when they put out concept art for Delia's diary, you see this, uh, which I'll show on screen here. It's actually the background for the SimCast right now. You see this almost splintered mountain. And I wonder if this is the mountain in the story. And you see this black and red orb. And that orb reminds me of that corrupted uh, creature cool. that, we sh that we showed on the screen earlier. And so I didn't want to read all of the story. I would encourage people to read it. It's on their blog. It's one of the Latin, most recent blogs. And the priests in the temples began to refer to these lights as harbingers upon my graduation, the master stonecutters university, the lights numbered 16. So in her story, she's discussing how, as she got older, the, the lights in the sky multiplied and they were called harbingers. And I wonder when I look at that image of that shattered mountain, which is what I'm assuming that is again, it's speculation, but I see this orb and you see it's almost molten and black like that corruption that still sits there. And I wonder to myself if, if that image we're looking at is of a time that's now passed thousands of years ago, or if this is still where this, uh, where this mountain is and what it still looks like. I, and I wonder if there's seats of power such as this in the world where the corruption still lies uh, and what that actually means for the people coming back to maybe even rediscover their roots like Delia's potential. Um, I potential. mean, I have a theory again, but before I go with that, let's see if anything because I'm, I'm interested to hear your theory. Me go too. Uh, okay. <clears throat> So we know there are lights, okay? The lights in the sky. I'm gonna try to keep this really short and simple. So we see, we know there are there were lights in the sky, and we know uh, they said something about the the har, har what's it called harbingers harbingers yeah harbor harbingers the undying, and we know there was this event where there was a, a loud boom. Mm -hmm. So I think that in that picture um, you just described in the picture, but we have uh, on right now in the background, there is this. Um, circle this this round object in the middle mm -hmm. um honestly i think those are it's, it's some sort of transportation device yeah i think i think honestly um because they said the darkness has come um yeah. i think that the corrupted gods the, the bad gods the evil guys and um, they send their armies to vera and that was the the means of transportation that those things are actually meteorites that carried the troops and or something that that corrupted creatures of Vera, um, to the things that attack everybody else, like we talked about in the first um, portal picture. Right. So um, I definitely think that whatever happened to Vera did not start in Vera; it came from somewhere. I agree with that story, uh, and the reason is because in the story uh, there are some subtle hints to to these harbingers, right? Yeah. Uh, one is life went on as normal talking about all the stuff that happened back in her history day by day the harbingers loomed overhead these lights 
eventually visible in the day sky. And that reminds me of in when you think of right now in, in our world, when, when we look up into the sky, I mean, when we have, uh, for example, a comet or something, right? That's, uh, it doesn't, you don't see it very often. It's not a, a very, uh, it doesn't happen a lot for us, but over, over years, every so often we've got what Haley, Haley's comet or Halley's comet, uh, that passes by. Um, but from a planet, when, when there is a, something like, um, a large object that is, that's looming, that's potentially coming your direction. Although when it gets close enough, it, like they said, your looms overhead, you will see it and it will go from just being visible at night to then being visible in the day. And so I kind of wonder in this story, and this is my speculation is if in, within the pantheon, this war or, you know, battle occurs, um, is there like maybe a, another planet or, uh, even, uh, something from a realm, like maybe a realm splits open and these things are starting to now kind of almost fall into the sky from being, you know, exploded somewhere else or even transportation systems like you discussed. So somehow these are delivering the corruption or uh, seeds of corruption even possibly because then I think about, like you said in the beginning with the gate, when we showed that gate and we saw all those, I feel like these were delivery devices somehow, either for seeds that bloomed, blossomed and then grew or potentially just opened up and then spew out all of these corrupted creatures onto the world. Uh, that's kind of what I've thought about the harbors being also. I mean, yeah. from a story point, it would make sense because you know, God's like, and I'm, I know, I know a lot of people are going to like this, but I think it, 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 it has a lot to do or it looks similar to, um, the burning legion things right yeah so um but again from from a game perspective um it allows intrepid to trigger events wherever they want because they can just say okay there's a, another meteor mm -hmm. down mm -hmm. um but i think honestly um from what it says in the story and you guys should really read this mm -hmm. um it makes the most sense that it is something either it was carrying corrupted troops or it is some sort of, I don't know, something that corrupted everything it touches, and it just kept on going to a point where people had to evacuate the planet. Yeah, That's yeah. I mean, I kind of touched on this early on. I mean, I think it has to do with some sort of ritual, um, and I think it was maybe a way for the corrupted gods to tap into more power, and wreak destruction on the world and essentially quote unquote win the war i kind of think of it as for all lack of a better term like a magical nuke that just yeah. was counting down and brought more and more corruption in the world and 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 maybe this goes you know this goes along the lines of my thinking on how the world might potentially have reset and then the gates opened up again but almost feel like it created this, you know, event that was worldwide that, you know, essentially destroyed it, but then something happened, maybe another god or the good gods somehow found a way not necessarily to get rid of the corruption completely because eventually it'll come back, right, as we unfold the story, 
in some form or another, but it was almost a way that they could at least reset the world. Yeah. And they cleansed it at least, or at least wiped it clean slate and then said, okay, now it's safe. Now we want our people to return and open the gates. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's, there's a, to me, the, the whole theme around creation and destruction is just, that's kind of the driving force behind the lore. At least what I've, what we've heard so far, what Steven and team want, they want us to be able to build up communities. We want to create, you know, conflicting ideals between communities. And then those quote unquote factions rise up against each other and then reset something or, you know, change the, the nature of the world in some way or another. Right. I guess we could speculate all day on this topic. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, all day. Maybe, maybe on Monday. Maybe Monday we will know more. I know, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this this upcoming live stream on Monday. They said it was at what time was it? A PDT six? No. Uh, three. Three. Yeah, it's five for me. Okay. So, yeah, it's at three PDT. So, Central, that's five for me. That's where I'm at. Uh, that'd be six East Coast. Yeah. <laughs> um, six, six East Coast. Right. Uh, no, it's three. Oh, uh, well, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. going to be six East Coast, right? Mm -hmm. Then it's midnight for me. All right, man. You'll be uh... <laughs> Time for some caffeine. ready <laughs> ready for it. Uh, so, yeah, this story, Dilia's Diary, it's it's been out for a while now. Um, I, I love it. It's not even very long. I encourage people who are really curious about some of the story as to how some of the story unfolds into sending people away on this exodus that, that we now return from. Uh, thousands of years later, uh, it's very rich. I mean, there are names dropped, there are places dropped. Uh, you could look at this and start to get a pretty good idea a lot about their culture and the environment. Um, it's a very, very well described story. Uh, uh, it's very, it, it's very easy to imagine, is what I'm saying. It's very, very high fantasy. Um, but I'm going to go on and get ready to end here. I, I, next week, I think I still I would like to discuss some of either PvP. Uh, something around that in that domain because I feel like it's uh, here lately I've been doing a lot of PvP on the Elder Scrolls Online um, I'm putting together a team uh, for the Battleground system I need a few more uh, worthy uh, uh, comrades to join the cause and fight I need to keep my, my MMO skills up and I'll be honest that's really the only one I can play right now because from a time standpoint it doesn't require you to get on day to day and grind your head into the dirt just to stay break even um so anyway, if anybody's interested, he'll holler at me, hit me up, DM me, whatever. Uh, gentlemen, uh, I really appreciate you coming. Thanks so much for contributing to this conversation. It's been a really great one. Uh, before we get going, would you like to tell everyone where you reign from? What is your domain and how can people find you? If they want to check in on your stuff and things. Uh, sure, I'll, I'll go ahead and start. Um, you can find me at my website, uh, ashenherald.com, or you can just look me up on YouTube under the Ashen Herald, or if you want to follow me on Twitter, I post when all of my videos come out, and that's at the Ashen Herald. All right. This is weird. I never done this before. Normally, people plug on my stuff. All right. <laughs> um. Yeah. So um, I I do content for Ashes. You can find me on YouTube under the Big Chick Giant. You can find my content on the official Ashes of Creation Discord. Um, I do updates, I do two small podcasts, and I'm always active on the Discord if you ever want to talk ashes. Um, you can contact me, and yeah. 
Oh man, yeah, really good content both these gentlemen have. I encourage you to check them out. And thanks so much for joining the Simcast, you too. Uh, to everybody watching, uh, Virtue, the guild that I, I lead, we are having a guild event on July 14th. It's practically from 10A to 10 p.m. Uh, Central Standard Time, I believe, if we're going with that. I could be wrong. And it's pretty much an all-day, 12-hour day event. Um, I encourage anybody who's interested in uh, the guild, we have some people that have joined the Discord um, that are just kind of hanging out and waiting to see if it's a good fit. Um, whether you're a content creator, uh, whether you are just in the Ashes community in general, or just looking for a guild, I would encourage any of you to kind of join our Discord or my Discord. Uh, it'll be down below along with these gentlemen's uh, links and stuff as well. Uh, check in, kind of see if you if you want to kind of come hang out. It's just going to be hanging out in a community of gamers. We're just going to have a good time on that day. We welcome, we kind of have open doors this weekend to welcome anyone that wants to hang out and play games. So just come hang out with us and chill and get to know other people in the Ashes community as well. Because uh, there are a pretty good handful of people in Virtue uh, or like these gentlemen that kind of have been on some of these uh, simcasts that are also content creators. So you can get to know some of your community content creators and other members of the community. And... Until next time, I'll see you all on stream. Have a great week. Okay, everybody. Thanks.